and welcome to Grace Life Rondebosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray that this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Experiencing tribulations, trials, been in distress or been frustrated. I think the last one kind of makes it open for everybody. If you haven't been frustrated ever, then you've probably been a vegetable. You haven't had any goals or desires or been blocked from any of them. You've never been a two-year-old, uh, uh, you know, because uh, that's where a lot of frustration comes from. It's really where we have a goal and it's blocked. We have a desire and it's not met. We have a dream and it, comes, it hasn't been reached yet. And that's where frustration can come in. So I include that kind of frustration in this, but we're going to have to dig a bit deeper. I want to start off by asking the question of how is your life doing? So think about that for a moment. How is your life doing? Because the way that you evaluate your life right now and how your life is going is going to determine or is going to reveal kind of what's important to you or what you think is important to life. And how we evaluate it kind of is really important. Okay? So how do you evaluate your life? You know, this kind of came out of a conversation I had with another pastor of another church somewhere else in the country. And uh, as I was chatting to this guy... We've known each other for years, and I asked him a question when we were having coffee. I just asked him a question and said, um, uh, how's the church doing? And I realized we've known each other for like 20 years, and I've never asked him this question. He's only been a pastor for about 10, but I've never asked him the question of how's the church doing. Um, I've always kind of just kept it personal with him. How are you doing? How's the family? That's great. Kept it superficial like that. It's not superficial, but never moved into ministry. And I asked him, how's the ministry, how's the church doing? And he said, it's doing great. He's like, we're growing, we've got lots of people coming, new people coming from the community, people who are coming to the church are connecting with each other. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's really, it's awesome. He said, there's just not, at the moment, the one thing we, he believes that they lack is mobilization. We're not really reaching out. And in my mind, I straight away had to push pause, or stop, or pull the brakes up, because I wanted to go into, well, can I share School of the Believer with you? Because that'll help your, uh, your, your context. Because that'll mobilize people to want to reach out. Because they'll realize it's important. But as I stopped myself from doing that, I also realized this church is not healthy. They've got lots of money. You know, being able to put solar in for a million is a lot of money. They've got money, they've got lots of people coming, they've got a coffee shop, but the pe- it's an unhealthy church because the people aren't reaching out. And, and I, I realized, like, how do you evaluate the health of a church? It's, it's, it's according to the mission that Jesus has given the church. Make disciples. So if people are making disciples, it doesn't matter how big or how small it is, it's healthy. But it can be a big church with the fools and the fuss and the bells and the whistles. And if it's not doing that one thing, it's unhealthy. It doesn't matter how much the people enjoy it. It doesn't matter how entertaining the preaching is. 
And then it made me think about how do we evaluate our lives and success? Because most of us would look at our lives as being a success according to all the wrong things. You know, let's get back to a church service because maybe it's less uh, intimidating for you. Okay, so a church service. How, it's, it's more intimidating for me maybe. How do we evaluate a, a church service? Wow, that was powerful. I really felt the presence of God. That was amazing. The, the worship was like this or the coffee was great. I don't know how you evaluate it. But a lot of people evaluate a church or a service completely wrong. You know, the, the questions we should be asking are, am I growing in my relationship with God? Am I growing in relationship with His body, the church? Am I growing as a disciple? Am I being equipped? With all of that, you've heard me say this before, but with all of that as the key elements of church, we should be able to say, uh, take out even the sing-song, which I love the sing-song, and still have church. Because nowhere in Paul's ministry, nowhere in the Bible, do we actually see that. And I love sing-song. I say sing song because worship is your life. Worship isn't music. Anyway, now that you, you, I bless you like that, how do you evaluate your life? Moving on. Like, it depends on what you believe success is for your life. If it's money, then you'll evaluate it according to money. If that's what you're aiming at, what are your goals? Because you're going to evaluate yourself according to what you find important what you see as this is the main thing this is important and if you've got the wrong goals you'll have to over learn to overcome tribulation trials distress and frustration that's one of the ways they come is having wrong goals one of the other ways that they come all of those things on the screen one of the the, the another way that we experience tribulation trials distress and frustration is breathing if you can breathe right now and you're sitting here, then you can experience all of that. Okay? Let me show you in Scripture. John 16, 33. Amplified Classic. I've told you these things so that in you, in me, sorry, you may have perfect peace and confidence. In, a, in the world, you, you uh, have tribulation, uh, trials and distress, frustration, now that's Jesus speaking. This is a prophecy for your life. <laughs> okay? This is a prophecy for your life. And King James, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. So if you can breathe, you're going to have trouble. Okay? I know this doesn't sound very encouraging, but we're getting there. Okay? Then the but is wonderful. But, okay, we like that but there. It says, but be of good cheer. In brackets, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Isn't that powerful? Jesus prophesying over your life. <laughs> and he's saying, you're going to have problems. So the Christian life is not a problem-free life. I, say, I like to say it like this. The Christian life isn't a trouble-free life. It's a troubled-free life. Meaning, we shouldn't let the troubles get to us in our hearts. Because in dealing with uh, tribulation and distress and trials and all of these things, the most important thing is your heart. 
Guarding your heart, making sure you know what's going on in your heart and not allowing the things that are seeking to influence your heart to influence your heart. Because the thing coming against you is trying to get to your heart. Because if it can get to your heart, like Proverbs says, the, um, the heart is the wellspring of life. All the issues of your life come from your heart. So if you can allow your heart to be troubled, then your life is in danger. You can't live in victory if you allow your heart to be troubled. So what's going on in your heart is extremely important. But from this verse, I get two steps okay, that we need to look at. Okay? Point one, or step one, you're not exempt from tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. That's the first thing that you've got to realize in living an overcoming life. <laughs> is that you're not exempt from trouble just because you're a Christian. Okay? Yeah, there's a message in the body of Christ of God promising you the best life now. Of God giving you a wealth, health, happiness and everything that you desire. And when we have that as our goal of Christianity... How many of you know you're definitely setting yourself up for disaster, for, for, for troubled life, for distress, for a, a, a sick heart? Because hope deferred makes the heart sick. So if your hope is in the wrong direction, your heart will get sick. And if your heart is sick, all the, all the issues of life coming from your heart are going to be sick. So what is your goal? What are, what are you desiring in your life is essential. Okay? You know, you can put it back to this. A lot of people have kind of this thing of, um, let's put it like this. I'm a success if I fulfill God's calling for my life. Amen? Amen. I'm saying amen to that. So, I agree with myself that <laughs> if, if, if I fulfill God's calling for my life, I'm a success. Okay? But now we have to define what is God's will for your life. And... According to how you define that will determine uh, uh, if you're a success or not, but it'll also determine the joy in your life. It'll determine your focus. It'll determine a lot of things. Okay? And a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on the wrong things when it comes to calling and purpose. Okay? I believe that you can fulfill God's purpose for your life regardless of circumstances. Okay, regardless of so, if, if we couldn't, if it was dependent on circumstances to fulfill God's will for your life, God would be unjust. So, in any circumstance, in any situation, whether you have much or whether you have little, you should be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life. But here's the problem. Okay. Someone says, okay, this guy says, I, I, God's called me to, he gave me this, um, I'm trying to figure out how to give a good example here. COVID. COVID comes, we have lockdown, and all of a sudden a lot of people couldn't fulfill God's purpose for their life. <coughs> according to their theology. Am I right? Because their calling was their profession. That's what they believe. Your calling isn't your profession. Your calling is, your, your, the profession is your vehicle for your calling. 
You take your calling into your profession. You're calling to be a child of God. You're calling to be an ambassador of Christ. You're calling to be salt and light. You can do that at McDonald's. And you can do that in a, in a boardroom. You know, there's, God's gifted you and given you interests and gives you ideas and all of these type of things. Yes. But you should be able to do what, what He's called you to do in everywhere. And your calling isn't what you do. Vocation-wise. Okay? So, let's get back to trials and distress and frustration. What is the purpose of these trials, distress and frustrations? Is to steal your focus. It's to steal your focus. It's to stop fruitfulness in your life. It's to stop you from fulfilling the mission of God through your life. Because what happens if I'm in distress, the, the, the knee-jerk reaction is to go into self-preservation, right? Now I'm, I've got to look out for myself. I'm in self-preservation. And it's not 100% wrong, but it's not 100% right either. We've got to be careful that in times of crisis, we do not start to become self-centered. We keep our focus on God and we keep fulfilling our purpose. Like Stellenbosch Church. We don't know where we're going to meet next week, guys. Let's pray for the lost. I love that. You know, it's going to cost, like the amazing thing with their situation is that We've been in that facility. It's a beautiful, if you've been there, you, you know it. It's an amazing facility. It's been a great tool for us. We've had conferences there. We've had services there. We've had ministry nights there. A lot has happened. I've recorded for TV there. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a blessing, that place. A huge blessing. We've paid nothing for it. The day we moved in, we all said, guys, this isn't very secure. So we have to be ready to leave at any moment. Because there's no contract. It's free. <laughs> you know, it's, it's helped the ministry financially a lot. And so yeah, Peter stood up and he had to say, you know what, with moving into a new venue, we're going to need more money. So thank you for your generosity. And if you're not being generous, please give. Because we need it. Yeah, the, the point is, is that even in a crisis, we stick to the plan. We stick to the mission. What has God called me to? How can I fulfill my plan? How can I fulfill the plan of God for my life? So let's consider the purpose of Christianity, the purpose of salvation, and the purpose of church for a moment. I don't have these two verses on the screen, but they're fridge magnet verses, so we should know them. Okay, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should have health, wealth, and happiness. <laughs> That's how we believe it. Even in the circles that we're in. I'm just going to be blunt. <laughs> you know, we, we believe it like that. I believe. Let me get back to the verse. For God so loved the world that He came so that we wouldn't be eternally destroyed, but we would have eternal life. That's why Jesus came. Okay? John 1.29 Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've got a whole teaching on this in Bible school. And we might do it in the next couple of uh, weeks here. But just uh, if you look through the whole of the New Testament, why Jesus came, it's only ever to deal with sin. Only. Only. 
Yes, there is healing available. Amen, most certainly. But he came to deal with sin. There was healing before the cross. And there's healing after the cross. There's always been healing because it's God's nature to heal. Okay? But salvation is about eternal life. About relationship with God. Do you know that before... uh, Jesus came and died and was risen from the dead. Um, People had houses. People had wealth. Did you realize that? It's amazing, isn't it? Did you know that uh, 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 after the cross, people still have houses, people have cars, people have wealth. And let's just take a step back from this equation and look at it and go... Where is a lot of the wealth right now? In the hands of the unbelievers. They didn't need Jesus to become rich. You don't need Jesus to become rich. You need wisdom. Jesus didn't come to make you rich. He came to save you from eternal destruction. So that you could have everlasting life. Yes, we need money. But the gospel is not about money, period. You can look through the whole of the Bible and you won't find it there. If you get creative, you'll find it there. But if you don't get creative and you take it for what it's worth, you will see. Okay? So Christianity is about salvation from sin and eternal destruction. About God coming to live inside of us. The purpose of the church is to make disciples. Okay? The purpose of the Bible, let's go even to that level. The message of the Bible is Jesus and salvation through faith in Jesus. It's not a textbook for your business. It's not a business plan. The Bible is about salvation. Yes, there's some wisdom in it. But you can get some good wisdom for business from unbelievers too. Okay? And yes, you can pray and get wisdom from God and all that. I understand all of that. I know that. But the purpose of church isn't business. The purpose of church is salvation and making disciples. Salvation, Christianity and the church are not about wealth. And yes, there is healing in Christ because it's His nature. Healing is available. But salvation isn't about healing. There is healing, but that's not salvation. Okay? And I really, during worship, I added this note into my, my notes because I felt this word come up on my heart that, you know, there would be some here who, who feel upset with God. You feel like He's failed you. You feel like He didn't deliver on a promise. It's because He didn't make a promise that you're holding on to. <laughs> you, you're kind of holding God to something He never said He would do. Great, great testimony. One of the churches I, I grew up in, this pastor had a... Um, a word from God to open up a shop, okay, a certain, a certain kind of shop. So he opens up the shop, he put in at that stage a lot of money into it, I think he said it was 250,000 rand that he kind of went in and he started the shop and uh, he really felt like this was God's will for him and this is what, what, what he should do and so he did it and he lost 250,000 rand <laughs> and uh, had to close the business down eventually because it didn't work. And um, he had uh, a prophetic word after that, that God uh, called him to fail so that he would teach him something. All of that is just rubbish. 
Okay, God doesn't work like that. Okay, but what I will say with that is the unfortunate thing is that um, sometimes we miss God and we don't want to own up to it. We're rather like, I don't know why God's not doing this or why is God not doing that. No, like rather like see what the purpose of salvation is and then make wise decisions. A lot of people will make decisions, dress it up under the banner of faith, and then not wonder why they're upset with God. Maybe the promise or the word from God is not, and this isn't for everybody, but sometimes there's a situation where it's like, maybe you missed it. We've missed it in certain respects too. Think you hear God, but you didn't. Anyway, step two. So step one from this verse, John chapter 16, verse 33, is you've got to realize that you're going to have troubles, tribulations, distresses, and frustrations. Okay? It's part of life. It happens. Okay? Learn to deal with it. But the second thing you've got to take from this is Jesus says, but be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, because Jesus has overcome the world, because I've overcome the world. So the second thing which is important to see there is that we should choose to be of good cheer. In the middle of all these problems, in the middle of all this muck, be of good cheer. Take courage. It doesn't say you're courageous. It says take courage. Okay? If you don't take something, you don't have it, right? So you've got to take courage. Okay? I like how it says it there. Let me find it quickly. It says, be of good cheer. And in the brackets. And it says, for I have overcome the world. So he's saying, you can be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. So there's something in there that we've got to... Our focus needs to be on what Jesus has done for us. To have courage, no matter what the circumstances. You know, a great book to go and read is um, Heavenly Man. By Brother Yu. Chinese pastor who... And everything he went through. Brilliant book. The first book I ever read so quickly. I came on holiday from Durban to Cape Town in 2001, I think it was, or 2002, and I remember, 2003, I remember coming down, and what happened was, I picked up this book on, the way, on my way to the airport, and I didn't put it down. And in five days, I read the whole book, and I'd never done that before. I never read a book before that. <laughs> I read the, 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 the notes about the book for school. The point is, and I read my Bible, but the point is, is in that book, <clears throat> Brother Yun talks about going to prison, not you know, having to be on fasting for like a hundred and something days. He talks about being beaten with rods and all sorts of things, living his best life now for Jesus in the, the, the Chinese uh, persecuted church. He, you know, he talks about all of these things, having troubles and tribulations and distresses and whatever and being hungry. And then... I got to meet him, and if you ever see this guy, go look on, on YouTube at his videos, he's quite a happy chap. He's smiling. And in the book, you read through it, and there's such hardships, but you can hear the Church of China was happy during those things, because their focus wasn't on, when is our mansion coming? Their focus was on, they've got salvation, they've got Jesus, and they were actively seeking to, to share him. So let's answer the question, because I haven't got there yet. How do we deal with 
and overcome tribulation, distress and trials and frustrations. An easy one to go for, and I don't even have this on the screen because it's my default when I teach on these kind of things, is to go to Philippians 4. To go to Philippians 4. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul's saying, rejoice not in your circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in eternity. Okay? And I'm not talking about death. Okay? (laughs) I'm saying rejoice in the Lord. If Paul can write that and he was in jail when he wrote that, then we have no excuse not to rejoice. Regardless of our circumstances. Okay? We have no excuse not to rejoice. Because if Paul can write from prison, rejoice in the Lord always, that means there's always a reason to rejoice. We have a a culture of, what are you thankful for? And before meetings, and often before church even, we share, what are we thankful for? A lot of the things that we share, the good things, please don't stop sharing what you share. You know, I'm thankful for the sunshine and tomorrow it's going to rain. But be thankful for the sunshine that you're enjoying right now. Or I'm thankful for the amazing lunch that my wife made. It was this and that, the next thing. That's wonderful. I'm glad. Be thankful for it. But maybe the, tomorrow's lunch won't be that great. <laughs> or I'm thankful for my lovely spouse. Maybe they disappear tomorrow. God forbid. They get kidnapped. I'm not saying they die or something. I'm, you know, let's be, think about it nicely, you know. Maybe, maybe you're thankful for your dog and your dog died. I'm, I'm trying to show you, we're thankful for a lot of things. <laughs> I wasn't talking about Daisy. You're thankful for a lot of things that can change in an instant. But, I, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Oh, how thankful are you for that? Because that's not a, a truth for when you die, that's a truth for now. God is with me. Always. No matter what I go through. Let's go to John chapter 14. We're going to go through a couple of verses here. And for some of you, I might be treading on holy ground here. But um, this is a great passage on how to deal with crisis. But I think a lot of us believe it wrong. A lot of us focus on it the wrong way. So I'm going to hopefully adjust our thinking with regards to some of these things. You'll see as I go through it what what I mean about that. But when we're going through difficult times, it it is a lot to do with how do we respond to things. How do we deal with things? And there's a number of people in this room going through crisis right now. There's a number of people going through challenging times. This is not condemning at all. This is supposed to be in empowering and encouraging and let's let's overcome together okay but i want to show you a couple things that really really have blessed myself and marna and have worked in our lives and i believe it will work in yours okay so verse one okay from the king james let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me we're going to go through this line by line verse by verse okay john 14 verse one that Jesus is speaking to his disciples about to go through a crisis. They're going to see their Lord crucified. They're not going to understand it. They're going to go into panic mode. And Jesus is preparing them for, them, for, for this. Amen. Okay, that's the context. 
And Jesus said to them, you don't have to allow your heart to be troubled. You can stop your heart from being troubled. Has anyone ever had a troubled heart? Okay, and the rest are liars. We've all had troubled hearts. Okay, we've all been in difficult situations. And I've learned, I used to think it was this overwhelming force of feelings that I couldn't control. And then when I heard a message like this, I realized, hang on a minute, I can determine if I'm going to be troubled or not. And since I've been able to, since I've learned that, you know, a couple of weeks back, I walked into an ICU, not expecting the person I was going to visit to be dying, not expecting that. I was expecting to have just a normal conversation, say a few jokes, pray and leave. Didn't expect that I would have to hold the hand of someone while they died because it was a crisis. And in that moment when usually what happens to everybody is you're overwhelmed by grief and you're overwhelmed by a, a, a hit by a, um, a lot of these different emotions. What, what happened to me? I chose to not let my heart be troubled. And I mourned afterwards and all that, but what did I do in the situation? I was cool, calm and collect. I dealt with the situation, prayed with the individual, helped them kind of let go of whatever had to happen, and it was fine. I wasn't a mess. Why? Because I chose not to let my heart be troubled. That's just one example that I can think of. But there's many that I can give you. Let not your heart be troubled. You need to allow your heart to be troubled if it's going to be troubled. Okay? Um, it's about guarding your heart. What information are you allowing into your heart that's going to cause your heart to be troubled or cause your heart to be at peace? Because we can be confronted with the same information and respond differently. Right? You can be told that uh, the price of petrol is going up this week by 10 rand. <laughs> and some of you will go into panic mode. We'll all be upset. Amen. But, like, I'm not going to let it stop me from doing what I need to do. I'm just going to be like, these guys are crazy. And I'm going to just not allow myself to be upset because I'm not going to allow something to upset me. I'm going to enjoy my day. And some things come and they want to upset my day. Some of them have names, these things. And they come across my path and they're just like finding all the buttons that they can push to make things unpleasant. And what do I do? I let not my heart be troubled. You know, the last time, um, a couple of months back, we went uh, away and um, we, uh, it was just a... I think two or three nights we just went away with uh, uh, in-laws. We had to drop someone off, so we went and dropped them off, and we were in the area, so we stayed over. And uh, that night, uh, uh, woke up with someone in our room. <laughs> and uh, I woke up as they were leaving, and then Martin shouted, and I kind of was in a deep sleep, came, came, out, came out of it, jumped up, you know, shouted, ran out. You know, the boys were in another room, and it was kind of a bit of chaos. But you know what we did? After the police were there and we filed a report and we did all this and we did all that and whatever. And my phone was stolen and this was that. The next day we went for an amazing walk on the beach. And we enjoyed the last two days there. And I didn't have a phone and it was peaceful. <laughs> but I chose not to allow that to upset me. Whereas for a lot of us, yeah, you can have someone steal your... Um, 
a plastic flamingo from the front of your garden and it'll upset your week because that thing was so important to you. And it's sad that they stole the pink flamingo or the garden gnome. They shouldn't have done it. But the point is, is like we allow ourselves to get upset about the stupidest things. Amen? I mean, you know, emotions. That's what we're talking about. I can come to you and say, I just got a phone call. Daisy got run over. <laughs> and now you're panicking, you know. <clears throat> now you're upset. And then I go, just joking. And you have a wave of different emotions. Anger and all. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, we, the way we process information, like you confront it with something, counter it with the word. Counter it with the word. Or seek to choose how you're going to respond to it. <clears throat> Let me show you something. It's, it's about what you're focused on. Are you trusting God? Because whatever you're focused on, you're empowering. If you see yourself as a victim, you'll always be upset. If you see yourself as a victor because you're a child of God, doesn't matter what the enemy does in your life, you'll always be like, you know what? The best is yet to come. That's exactly what the, uh, uh, the leadership in Stellenbosch Church have, kind of how they've rolled in this situation. They found out about the, the, the venue situation on Thursday evening. Friday morning, Peter phoned me to tell me about it. And uh, we were both like, well, God's got something else. Let's see what happens. Let's have a leadership meeting, 5 p.m. on Friday. So we had a, a meeting quickly with everybody. And we said, we're not worried about it. We don't want you to be panicking about it. God's got something. And then on sun, Sunday, on Saturday, I went and pulled down a whole studio that we had just set up. And other people were there busy set, uh, uh, dismantling things. And, and uh, they had the last service there this morning. And they packed up the whole thing. And everyone's like, let's see where we're going to be next week. Not letting our hearts be troubled. That's just an example. Because the focus is different. Focus is God knows and He's our provider. He's the one who's leading us. He's our shepherd. Now, you can put up the next slide there. This verse, I never looked at it like this until I studied it out this weekend. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also. The word also can also be translated. Yeah. As indeed. Because for me it was just a bit confusing. Like, and this is going to open up a can for some people I know. But it's like, God is Jesus. And so it kind of like, you know, the, the whole Trinity issue. It kind of separates it. It's confusing. Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father, they're two different people. No, they're one. Jesus was saying, you believe in God, indeed you believe in me. Because he is God. This is a statement of his deity. Okay? Better translation. The voice kind of puts it like this. Don't get lost in despair. I like that. It's about your focus. Don't get lost in despair. Believe in God and keep believing in me. He's not separating the two and making them two different people. I believe he's expressing that he is God. And he's saying, you believe in God, keep believing in me. Okay? It's like me saying, you believe in Shane, keep believing in Shane. You know, it's, it, you know what I mean. Sounds a bit wrong. But anyway, Jesus is declaring himself as God. So let's look at 1 Peter. What do we do in a crisis situation? Humble yourself. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. 
Don't get lost in despair. How do we do that? By humbling ourselves. Okay? How do we humble ourselves? By giving our cares to Jesus. Give your cares to Jesus. When we carry our cares, we're, not in, pri- we're in pride, we're not humble. When we are worrying about what we're worrying about, and we're not saying, Jesus, you need to sort this out, I'm giving my problem to you. Give me the wisdom that I need, and I will follow, but I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to keep my, uh, uh, carry my care. I'm giving you my cares. Then we're in pride. And what does the Bible say about pride? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you want grace to be working in your life to help you overcome your situation, you need to be humble and take your burdens and say, Jesus, here you go. That's humility. But if you're trying to figure it out and you're worrying about it and you're not praying about it more than you're worrying about it and you're talking to everyone more than you're talking to God about it, you're in in pride. It's not going to get sorted out easily. Okay, so verse 2. Goes verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Indeed, you believe in me. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I like this. Are you ready for this? The way I used to deal with crisis situations was... One day when I die, I've got a mansion waiting for me. Let me reflect on heaven. It's going to be awesome. And I believe that's a good way to deal with crisis. What's the worst thing that can happen? I can die and go and be with Jesus. It's okay. That's a good way to take fear out of the equation. But that's not what this verse is saying. Nothing at all. Okay? I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you don't have a mansion waiting for you. You don't have a mansion waiting for you. Okay? <laughs> okay? Um, not at all. I mean, if you think about it, just if you understand words, which we all do, if I look around the room, we should understand words. It's impossible to have many mansions in a house. Okay? So Jesus couldn't be referring to physical buildings. And if you look it up, basically, I've taught on this before, I'm going to say this very simply and short here. In my father's household, in my father's family, In the church are many dwelling places, many mansions. You are the dwelling place of God. We are the household, the dwelling place of God together as well. Okay? So, better translated, next slide. In my Father's house, household, body of Christ, believers, plural. In my Father's house, plural, are many mansions, dwelling places. This is speaking of the believer, singular. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He went to prepare a a place for us in the Father and to uh, have us prepared to be His tabernacle. So He went, death, burial, resurrection, to prepare you to be His dwelling place. To prepare you to be His mansion. That's talking about right now. That is much more encouraging then thinking about, if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. You know why? Because right now, I'm with Jesus. So I'm like, hey, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I'm one with God. I'm one with God. He lives in me. I'm His dwelling place. Wherever I go, He goes. The NET Bible footnotes 
say this, that, that this verse gives the idea of a permanent dwelling place rather than a temporary stopping place. A permanent, you are a permanent dwelling place of God. He never leaves you. So in a crisis, you remind yourself, God's not going anywhere. Sing that song. When I'm not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. I think we've done it once or twice. But it's like, there's that song. Like, that's what we should be thinking about meditating on. Not, wow, if this kills me, I'm going to be with Jesus. Yes, it's true. And it's encouraging. But it's more encouraging and you're going to win the battle now if you're actually focusing on your oneness with Christ, the healer, the one who's got your answer, the one who is your hope. Amen? Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Okay, so if I go and prepare a place for you, that can link to Hebrews 10.10, which isn't on the screen, but Hebrews 10.10 says, By the which will we are sanctified through the body of Christ once and for all. Through His sacrifice, you were made holy so that you could be His dwelling place. That's what He did. He went to prepare you as a place for Him to come and live. Okay? I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am you may also be. Further down, John chapter 17, verse 19 to 21, Jesus is praying and He says, And for their sakes I sanctify Myself, that, I may, that they may also be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them which, are also, which also shall believe on me through their word, that they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world might believe that thou hast sent me. So many people believe this is talking about Jesus praying for church unity. It's not. That's an impossible prayer. It can never happen. <laughs> okay? It will never be accomplished. What Jesus is praying for is the, not the unity, you could call it the unity, but the, 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 the union of us and Him. That's what He's saying. That we may all be one, Father, as Thou, Father, art in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us. The church is one with Christ and in Christ. It's not talking about us getting along and working together. The pressure's off. It would be a nice thing. But this is talking about union with Christ. Jesus' prayer was answerable and it was answered through the death, burial, and resurrection. So the important thing here is to keep perspective that you're one with Him. Keep perspective that He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. Amen? <clears throat> Just uh, two more verses here. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send forth them forth to preach and to power to heal sicknesses and cast out devils. Healing, deliverance, all of that is important. It's part of ministry. Okay? But in a crisis especially, keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus was giving his, the disciples a mandate in this verse. What was the mandate? Be with me. That before you go and preach, before you go and, and operate in power, be with Him. So in a difficult situation, it's important for you to remember, uh, my, my primary purpose is, is, is uh, friendship with God. 
My primary purpose is relationship with God. My primary purpose is to have intimacy with Him and to receive from Him. Okay? So you're faced with a problem. Don't allow the problem to influence your heart. Let me put it like this. You're always going to allow something to influence your heart. If you're meditating on and focusing on the problem more than you are on Christ in you, your hope of glory, then you're always going to fail. So rather, focusing on Christ in you, your hope of glory, and focusing on the truth of His Word, that He'll never leave you nor forsake you, and that you've got friendship with Him for eternity, and it starts now, and then go out and preach and heal and whatever. Then deal with the problem that you've got. Okay, keep first things first. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 44. We're talking about how to overcome challenges and how to live in victory. And this is really important. Look at it. Then they that received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. There's a couple keys in here for fruitfulness. There's a couple keys in here for success in our lives. Number one, it says that the, the, the early church gladly received the word. I think what's important for us to see there is that you can only... It, being part of the body of Christ and becoming a Christian is something that you've got to gladly do yourself. You can't, no one can be forced. You could be drugger, but you're just not part of us if your heart's not in it. Okay? I think that's important to see. But let's look at, 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 at what were their keys for success. Number one, they devoted themselves. Or they continued steadfastly. Let's talk about discipleship. They were committed. Okay? They were committed. I'm part of this. I'm continuing in the Word. I'm receiving the Word. I'm, I'm, if you're going through a, a rough time, you need to make sure you stay in a place of receiving Word. Stay in the Word for yourself and stay in the church for Word. <laughs> okay? Stay, you know, sometimes we go through seasons, maybe by our own choice, not by God's uh, leading, where we, we kind of don't just, we're just not getting into the Word, we don't feel like it. Or it's just difficult for whatever reason. If you are committed steadfastly to be in church, to be in Bible school, to be in life groups, etc., all those kind of scenarios, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get word whether you like it or not. Thomas doubted. And yet he was still in the fellowship with the believers. That was a wise man. We, we often joke with him and, and, and criticize him. Because he was doubting Thomas. But Thomas was wiser than a lot of Christians. Because even though he was going through a crisis of faith, he was in church. He was with the believers. Okay? So stay receiving. Stay in fellowship. They were committed to fellowship. They were committed to fellowship. When you isolate yourself, you've become your problem. When you isolate yourself, you've become your problem and your own worst enemy. We've had a lot of people who isolate themselves when they go through crisis. They won't answer phone calls. People, we try and reach out to them, whatever. And it's like, well, what can you do with people like that? Nothing. You can pray for them. That's it. 
And you just have to let them go. God, I don't know what else to do with them. You do, you, they're in your hands. Because we can't force people to stay. We can't force people to receive. And through their own stupidity, they isolate themselves. It's not through your stupidity that they isolated themselves. It's through their stupidity. That's encouraging. So, they devoted themselves to, to receiving teaching, discipleship. They, they, they committed themselves to being in fellowship. And then here's one that we're all going to like. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, we've discussed prayer for the last couple of weeks, two months or three months. Prayer is important. Worship's not mentioned here, but prayer is mentioned. Make sure you stay in a place of prayer. But when it talks about um, a breaking of bread, it's talking about a meal. Okay? It's, it's talking about when the disciples would come and it was a practice that they would do of bringing food and breaking bread was talking about sharing a meal together. Okay? It's not talking about communion, bread and cup. It's talking about sharing a meal together. They were committed to sharing meals together. Why is that important? We all like to eat. And it, it connects us. It helps us connect more. You're more connected with someone you've had a meal with than you are someone you haven't had a meal with. And, you know, sometimes coffee is a, a good enough meal. Okay? <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is, is we need to be committed to that kind of relationship with one another. Where it's, let's have a meal together. God help us if they're vegan. <laughs> That's the only problem, right? <laughs> it's like, what do you cook? But if they are vegan, then you just go down to their level. <laughs> anyway, that was a joke. We need to stay committed to receiving teaching, receiving fellowship, and eating together. The fellowship. And then, obviously, like I said, in prayer. And you know what? The awesome thing is, is that according to the Bible, according to the Gospel, you're not guaranteed that it's all going to work out and you're going to be the richest person on earth or the healthiest person on earth or whatever. Because there's a lot of unbelievers who have more health than all of us maybe put together. There's a lot of unbelievers who have more money than all of us put together. But there isn't one unbeliever out there with a drop of eternal life compared to us. And yes, healing is available. And we contend for it and we push in for it. One of the things I want to teach on soon is, is, is regarding that. But the point is, is that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Keep our focus and then make sure you realize you're walking with God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's the key. You are with me. Amen? Great. Let's stand together. Father... We thank you that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what's going on, you are with us. And I know that there are many people facing trials and tribulations and challenges in this service right now, even listening to the, the recording. And I just thank you, Father, that they would just be encouraged with the wonderful truth, the eternal truth, that you are with them. Thank you, Father, that there is victory. Thank you, Father, that there is healing. Thank you, Father, that there is provision. I thank you, Father, that there is wisdom. 
Whatever we need, I thank you, Father, that there would just be a release of that right now. I just feel like there's a lot of situations where God is actually, the thing that you want isn't the thing that you need. The thing that you want, this is a word for someone, the thing that you need or that you want isn't the thing that you need. And if you kind of think that, I wonder if that's for me, then you just pray in the Spirit quietly now and ask God just to speak to you about that. And if it is for you, I believe what will happen is He will give you wisdom for your situation. It won't come from anyone else. He will give you wisdom concerning that situation and you will know whether that's for you or not. Father, I thank you that even for the individual or individuals here that feel like they keep going around the same mountain and they're going nowhere, it's not getting higher, it's not getting lower, they're just walking around in circles, walking around aimlessly. I thank you, Father, that they would just stop and just focus in on the fact that you're with them. And as they silence their hearts, that they will have wisdom to be able to deal with that situation. They will have wisdom on what to do in that situation. I had a word before the service, and the word was about a hot air balloon. And you know, for the, the hot air balloon to go up, you have to release some more heat in it. You, you release more of the gas, puts more heat in the balloon, and it goes higher. And I just felt like God saying, if you feel like you're stuck, the answer isn't just to sit still. The answer is to allow the, 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 the fire or the situation that you're in to cause you to go higher. Let it cause you to press into God more, in the sense of pray more, spend more time with Him, get into the Word more, so that He can direct your paths, so that He can give you the wisdom that you need. Thank you, Father, that you are with us, and that we will overcome as we walk with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.co. And if you're ever in the Cape Town area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.co.